just having these conversations like we are here today, where more people hear and have the message more than once that this message is problematic, right? Like your brain matters, like kind of a lot, actually, that we don't have to suffer, that medication sometimes can be less risky. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where you'll gain the knowledge and confidence you need to erase the unknowns of pregnancy and birth and rock the newborn days like a boss. My name is Liesl Team. I'm a fellow mom, labor and delivery nurse, and your host. Each week on this podcast, you'll hear a mix of birth stories, expert interviews, and other fun pregnancy and birth-related content. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now let's get into this week's episode. Happy Monday, you guys. We are talking about perinatal mental health today, a topic that is near and dear to my heart. And gosh, like I'm just so excited to share this guest with you. Dr. Nichelle Haynes is a clinical psychiatrist and she specializes in perinatal mental health, which You'll hear us talk about it in the episode, but there are not very many of her in the United States. There's just not a lot of psychiatrists who really specialized in the pregnant and postpartum population. So Dr. Haynes and I talked about kind of, you know, a day in her life, what sort of patients that she sees, what to kind of do as that first step if you feel like you're struggling. We talked about the difference between a psychiatrist, a psychologist, and a therapist, because there's a big difference. And we talked a lot about medication and just, you know, when to intervene with medication, what sort of signs and symptoms you should kind of be looking for. And we also talked about this unfortunate societal stigma that psychiatric medications are bad and you should not be taking psychiatric medications during pregnancy. If you do, you're just crazy. So we touched on that a bit and... Yeah, I'm just really excited to share this episode with you guys. So let's dive right in. Are you wondering what you need to do to stay on track during each week of your pregnancy? Not sure what you need to be learning or researching along the way? When you're pregnant, it can feel impossible to stay on top of all the new stuff going on with your body, your baby, and your bulging at the seams to-do list. (laughs) Sign up for our free weekly pregnancy series to get tips, advice, and resources tailored to your exact week of pregnancy sent straight to your inbox every week. Sign up at mommylabornurse.com slash I am pregnant to get your first email today. That's all one word, mommylabornurse.com slash I am pregnant. See you in your inbox real soon. Hi, Nichelle. Welcome to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to talk to you. Yay! This is going to be great. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be talking about some really, really important things. Do you mind telling our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do, anything you want to share? Sure. Okay. So my name is Nichelle Haynes. I am a perinatal psychiatrist. So that means I went to medical school and I chose to be a psychiatrist rather than, I don't know, like maybe choosing a surgical specialty or something like that. Yeah. I practice in Austin, Texas a practice that I co-own with my wonderful business partner. I am a mom of two boys. I am busy to say the least just with them. Yeah. (laughs) 
but yeah, my niche in psychiatry is helping people who have mental health problems or who want to improve their mental health during times of reproductive hormone change. So that could be during menopause, that could be infertility, pregnancy, parenting, postpartum, kind of that realm. So that's what I do in my professional life. Yeah. Yeah, Love it. Love it. Well, we're going to be talking today about what you know best, but I am curious if you could kind of share maybe a day in your life, like what sort of patients that you meet with and like what sort of things that you would use to treat them. You know, obviously it's specific on what's going on, but Mm -hmm. I was really interested in talking to you because I know there's not a lot of you out there. Like you have a very specific population and you're very good, you know, like at what you do, like, you know, exactly what's going on. And this is like your niche, like you were explaining in the beginning. So I was really interested to talk to you because yeah, you know it best. So can you share maybe like a day in the life, like what you kind of do day to day with patients? Sure. I'll also include my personal life because I do think it's important to recognize that like we have a lot of need for boundaries and need for self-care. So, you know, first thing in the morning is kid central. We are getting dressed. We are doing the breakfast thing. We are getting them off to school. We are, you know, just doing the regular mom stuff. My husband will take them to school and I will transition over to kind of just cleaning up some stuff from the day before, whether it's, you know, sending in refills or finishing up notes or, you know, kind of just managing the day-to-day stuff that needs to happen in a practice, you know, reviewing labs, answering questions, that kind of thing. And then after that, that's my first priority. My second is kind of managing day-to-day stuff with the practice, whether it's like, you know, we need to create this new form or we need to, you know, just do kind of practice-y kind of stuff. So I'll manage that. And then, you know, after that is taken care of, I'll switch over to seeing patients sometime in the morning is usually when I will get started with that. So my appointments really vary a lot patient to patient. So if it's an established patient who is, you know has been doing well for a while, we may just check in for 20 minutes. Hey, how are things going? Make sure meds are you know going well, sleeping, eating, check in on the anxiety, make sure we're not having any side effects. Are you having any issues getting your refills, which is a big thing that's coming up lately. So kind of just, you know, managing people who are kind of already into their journey, you know, maybe have a 20 minute appointment, check on things, catch up. And it can vary all the way to, you know, a two hour intake where we sit together and we still don't get to everything that we you know, oh, yeah. I need to kind of help establish a plan and make sure that everyone's comfortable moving forward. So, you know, it'll really vary between two hours to 20 minutes with, you know, one single patient kind of wrap up everything that needs to happen for them, move on to the next one, repeat. And then the end of the day, kind of, you know, pull it all together, do refills, do all the same kind of stuff that repeat the morning. And then, you know, kids walk in the door, shut the laptop and switch into mom mode. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, then just do the mom stuff again. So it really is just like kind of pacing together, making sure everyone is cared for. Family is, you know, the first priority. Patients are number two, and then kind of just managing the practice. And then if I can fit in some social media time after that, that's when that happens. Yeah, I I love it. I love it. No, it's funny, as you were talking, when you said like, switching to mom mode, I saw that I think it was a reel of someone being like, like driving home, she's like, on my way home from my nine to five to start my five to nine, like, taking care of kids. It's like, that's just how it is, man. 
crazy. It's crazy. Yes, it really is. I mean, it's really, my husband is very involved. And so, you know, he takes the kids to school and he does a lot of, you know, the the normal kind of day-to-day things that happen around here, but there's still a ton of stuff that happens. And I'm, you know, I'm grateful for the time that I do have to myself to, you know, like go to my own therapy appointments and, you know, do my yoga or whatever I'm doing to, to kind of help myself manage recharge recharge yeah that's a good way of saying it (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's just kind of like moving from one thing to the next that needs to be done yeah around here (laughs) do you like see all your patients from home I do I do it's been a long process but we are in the process of kind of renovating a space so Ah. that we have a nice you know comfortable place for our patients to come and see us so that should be coming soon. So right now, everything's still virtual from yeah. home. And it's really convenient because it is my lunch is already here. <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, there's no commute. There's no, yeah, no, I feel yeah, you on that. It's really nice. Question before we move on to the next point. Do you ever do inpatient stuff? Like, do you ever go and see patients who are admitted in the hospital? So I used to direct an inpatient psychiatric unit. Okay. And I would go there, you know, manage my patients, and then I would see private practice patients in the afternoon. But that is, it's just a lot to handle and manage, and I just couldn't do it all. But I do work as a consultant. So if someone is like on one of the LND units or, you know, antepartum, then, you know, if they need me, I can come and make recommendations about medications or treatment plans. That doesn't happen super often, but it's really nice when I do get to go because it really is a very rewarding experience. So yeah, I do that sometimes. It's not very often, but yeah, I like to do it. Yeah. Cool. Love it. Well, let's move on to the next point. So if somebody is struggling with their mental health during pregnancy or maybe, you know, postpartum, what is that first step? Like how do they even go about finding help to help them with whatever's going on? Mm -hmm. That often can be one of the most difficult steps. I think the, probably the first most difficult step is to recognize like, Hey, this is not going well. This is not okay. Because a lot of us just kind of exist in a world where we're not feeling well and kind of think we're supposed to, or like, that's the expectation is like, Oh, we're, you know, pregnancy is hard. It's okay. You'll be fine. So I think really the first and one of the most difficult steps is to recognize that things are problematic. And then of course the next step is really hard too. So hopefully you're already established with someone I mean, whether it's a primary care doctor or an OB-GYN or you have a midwife or, you know, someone who's helping care for you during this time of your life, pregnancy, postpartum, usually they have some resources that they can refer you to. It's difficult because there's not a lot of us who do this work. So even if you can't find someone who specializes in, you know, pregnancy, postpartum, that kind of thing, you can at least start somewhere and get connected somewhere while you're looking for something else, or maybe what you find is great. I really like psychologytoday.com is a a great resource. It's nice because you can filter by a lot of different things. You can say, okay, this person needs to take my insurance and I prefer to see a female. And you can like put your zip code in and it'll bring up a bunch of people and you can reach out to them and ask, you know, Hey, are you taking new clients? That's a really great resource if you don't have anywhere else to start. Postpartum Support International also has a kind of similar data bank of clinicians who are 
in this realm. So if you're looking for something specific to the perinatal time, postpartum pregnancy, then they're a great resource as well. You can kind of do some of that same filtering to help find a therapist. So reach out to your doctor or those two websites are a pretty good first step. Yeah. Yeah. For me personally, I feel like going on a, a website and looking myself is less overwhelming than mm-hmm. saying, Hey, can I come in for a visit? Cause I want to talk to you about something. It, it is pretty easy to just go on the web and say, Hey, like filter out. Okay. I'm mm-hmm. postpartum. I want a female. I live here. This is also what's going on with me. And you can, you know, you can kind of pick and choose. Right. Right. Exactly. And a lot of them will have information in their bios about like maybe their educational background, or they may have information in their bios about things they specialize in or their approach, or you can kind of get an idea what they look like and just get a little more comfortable with reaching out because you have a little more information. You know them a little bit better than someone just cold calling. Right. So it does help a lot to go and review and see if something resonates with you. Yeah. Yeah. You said something before too, that sometimes you see patients on the first visit and it's like a two hour intake. Mm -hmm. And I actually just switched therapists and I just saw it wasn't a two hour intake, but it was a one hour. And all we talked about was like, you know, my history, my background. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important to say because a lot of people go to therapists or psychologists or psychiatrists when they're in crisis mode. And it can be so frustrating Mm -hmm. sometimes for that first visit. And you're like, not, you know, you're just talking about your history. Like, what have we really done? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. You make a great point because there's not really a wrong time to establish with someone. Right. But it's often really nice to be established with someone who knows you when you're doing relatively well, right? rather than when you're like, I need help right now, right? Because if you're established with someone, they know you and they like know your history and they know how you respond to things and they know what things you're working on. And they can recognize like, Hey, you know, you seem a little bit more down lately. Like what's going on? I know this isn't you rather than showing up and, you know, being in tears and not being able to like kind of move through yeah. things with someone who knows you. So if you want to get established now, by all means, it doesn't have to be the end of the rope for you to reach out to someone. Right. Yeah. Right. Totally. Well, I want to ask like, what's the difference between a psychologist and someone like you, a psychiatrist? And at one, what point do you say, okay, I need to go to a psychiatrist versus a psychologist or versus like a therapist? Cause they're in the picture as well. Right. Okay. So a psychiatrist is a medical doctor. So most of us hold like a MD or a DO degree. And like I said, at the very beginning, like this is the field I chose in medicine. I could have been an OBGYN. I could have been an ophthalmologist. I could have been an orthopedic surgeon. Like, Gotcha. Right. So I chose psychiatry as my medical specialty, and that provides me the unique ability to be able to prescribe medications for my patients. So a psychiatrist will have the medical background. They'll have the ability to order your labs and make sure it's not something else like a vitamin Ah. deficiency or a thyroid issue or any number of other things that could be contributing to the way that you're feeling. A psychologist is someone who has an advanced degree in psychology. There's a lot of different routes to become a psychologist in a lot of different ways to be a psychologist. So the ones that you would go and see if you're going to do therapy with them, 
are usually like a clinical psychologist and they often have a doctorate. I think they always have a doctorate. Yeah. So they're like a PhD or a PsyD in psychology and they'll often like choose some kind of field to do their study in. And the therapist is kind of like a similar idea, but they may have a master's degree. Okay. There are terrible psychologists and there are wonderful social workers, like clinical social workers. So I really, I don't subscribe to the idea that like one is better than the other for therapy. Mm -hmm. A psychiatrist can do therapy. I do therapy. Mm -hmm. I might not be the right person to be doing therapy with you, but I might be a great therapist for someone else. So there's like a whole range of people that you could see. And it really is just kind of finding the person that you feel comfortable with, that resonates with you, that kind of gets you and gets your goals and can kind of like, you know, push you a little bit to learn and grow and do those things with you. So that's the difference. And just by like the nature of there being a lot more options for therapists, that will often be the place that most people will start because like you said, there's so very few psychiatrists in general, and there are very, very few perinatal psychiatrists or reproductive psychiatrists. So there's just, it's just harder to find us and harder to get in with us. So starting with a therapist is often a great place to start, whether it's a psychologist or a therapist with some other kind of degree. People will usually end up with me, particularly if they have a history of depression or anxiety, bipolar disorder, or some other psychiatric illness, and they're on medications and they want someone who can talk about their medications with them and prescribe and make sure that they really understand and that they're having their needs met and making sure that they have a safe and healthy pregnancy. So starting with a psychologist works and you do really well, you don't need to see me, right? But there may be times where you know, someone it might be on a low dose of something and they want to be sure they talk to me about it. We just continue it through pregnancy and monitor things. So if medications are part of the picture, then you want a physician on board, whether it's your OB or psychiatrist. Got it. So maybe if it's like more mild, you could start with therapy or if you have a really strong history or if you are on medications, maybe a psychiatrist or, you know, some other kind of physician would be a better place to start. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, the sound of that baby crying means it's time for this week's segment of Birth It Up Babies. All right, this one says, Hi, sweet baby boy arrived yesterday, and I was so thankful for your epidural class. My water broke at home, and I wasn't progressing much 12 hours later, so I was started on Pitocin. I was doing fine with contractions to begin with, But as they turned the rate up, they began to hurt in all different places, and I knew it was epidural time. Hear you on that one. Thanks to your class, I was more informed of options and how things were done, so I wasn't afraid of getting an epidural like I had been before taking your class. I'm so glad I could remove the fear. That is always what we're trying to do with our classes is like take you from, oh my God, I'm so afraid to, okay, I'm not afraid anymore. I can do this. Happy to say it didn't slow down my progression. I was only three to four centimeters last time they checked before starting and baby boy arrived five hours after getting the epidural and 21 hours after my water broke. Thank you. Thank you. 
Do you already know you want an epidural? Make it an informed epidural birth with Birth It Up, the epidural series, an online birth class for mamas that are planning an epidural birth. I think I just said epidural about five times in that sentence. As you've probably noticed, most online birth classes are either geared for mamas that want to go natural or they're super generic. What gives? Seriously. (laughs) We know that childbirth education leads to a more positive birth experience, so a birth class that suits your specific needs only makes sense. Get educated about the entire birth process from your first contraction through your hospital stay after birth. Learn how to manage the pain of labor before your epidural is placed. Discover the benefits, potential side effects, and what to expect from your epidural placement and erase every ounce of unknown and fear surrounding your birth. Birth It Up! The Epidural Series will leave you feeling confident and in control for the big day. Learn more at mommylabornurse.com slash epidural birth. That's mommylabornurse.com slash epidural birth. All right, let's get right back into this week's episode. So do you ever see someone, like let's say someone got up with their therapist, they've been seeing their therapist and their therapist is like, I can't prescribe medication, but maybe you should talk to someone about starting (laughs) medication. Like, do you ever have those types of consults? Yeah, absolutely. And I really like when those types of consults come in because I know that they're already kind of working on things. Like we've tried other things and we can say like, Hey, you know what? Instead of seeing me, And then going to do therapy for a few months and then coming back, it's like, yeah, you've already been doing therapy. You're doing the things that you need to be doing, right? So we can in good conscience say like, okay, we've tried this stuff. It's helping some, but it's really just not getting us where we would like to be. We feel like starting medications at this point is necessary or is the right risk to take. So I really like that because that makes my job just a little bit easier. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Awesome. Well, when I share my own, like I take medication, (laughs) love it. It makes me function very, very well. So, but when I usually talk about this, I get like an influx of DMs or just messages from people who feel ashamed of taking medication or feel guilty about taking medication, especially when we talk about pregnancy and postpartum, if you're breastfeeding. So can you maybe touch on that a little bit and then talk about maybe some of the signs that it might be time to start considering medication? Sure. Okay. So I think one of the big pieces that we've missed over the last however many years is when we look at pregnancy, it's like, okay, what happens to the baby if mom takes medication? Like what's the risk there? But we like miss this whole other big piece of what happens if the pregnant person has severe depression or anxiety. Like that's not neutral. That's not just there and it doesn't make any difference, right? So it's important to recognize that mental illness during pregnancy is not without its own risks. So depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, they all carry risks for the health of mom, the baby, the pregnancy, and the family unit as a whole, if there happens to be one. So If you're on medication, sometimes that's the safer route. Sometimes that's the route that has fewer risks. So there's no shame in taking the safer route. And really, we don't have any issue going and like treating our UTI when we're pregnant. Right. No one bats an eye. They're like, okay, yeah, I have a UTI. Like, this is terrible. I want to get my antibiotics. I want to get feeling better because I also recognize that UTI could be more than a UTI if I don't take care of it. 
right? And it's the same thing. Just because it exists in your brain, for some reason, there's this societal stigma that like somehow completely different and that's just ridiculous. Yeah, no, I know, I know. It's like this, you're right. You said it perfectly. It's the stigma that exists in our society that like if you have any sort of mental health issues, medication should be the absolute last thing you do. And it's just like, let's try all these, which I mean, other things are important, obviously, right? Of course. But I think there's this huge myth of like that there's something wrong with taking medication, right? So what do you think, if anything, in our society can help to normalize that. I mean, you said it great. Like if you have a UTI, you prescribe medications, you like, let's treat it like that. But I feel like we are starting to talk about it more. So that makes a big difference. But do you think there's anything we can do more as healthcare providers to help normalize this unfortunate myth that we have about psychiatric medications? I think there's no one right answer, but absolutely just having these conversations like we are here today, where more people hear and have the message more than once that this message is problematic, right? Like your brain matters, like kind of a lot, actually, that we don't have to suffer, that medication sometimes can be less risky. And the other thing is we understand a lot of the pathology that occurs for a lot of different, like more physical ailments, right? More physical illness. If we had more information about why this happens, who it happens to, what changes in their brain, what we can do, better medication, it's more funding for the research for us to be able to do this stuff and be able to say, here it is. This is the thing we've been looking for all this time. Now you know, right? So on an individual level, it's being comfortable saying, hey, I'm on medications. And it's being comfortable having these conversations with other people, but on, you know, a bigger scale it's we need more funding for the research for these things. You so need some money. It. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Hey, that's a very appropriate response. Like money doesn't fix everything, but yeah, you're totally right. Funding is so important. Right. And I wouldn't see any of that. I'm just saying that like someone needs to be doing this research. Yeah. And if we had the answers, we may be able to like, say like, Hey, we get it now. And point to this thing and say, like, you can't think your way out of X, Y, Z. Yeah. Yeah. Here's something I just thought about. Do you think it's more difficult also because of the pregnancy population and postpartum population that people are afraid of doing research on pregnant people? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of ethical barriers that we come up against. And this is one of the things I talk about almost on a daily basis in my practice is that we can't study it the same way in which we would just study, you know, cutting our fingernails a certain anybody, way, or, yeah. you know, whatever, right? Like right. anybody that there's a lot that goes with it. We can't just like say, Hey, pregnant person, take this. And we have no idea what's going to happen. Good luck. That's like very unethical. We can't do that. So a lot of the information that we have comes from like chart reviews and, you know, reviewing data backwards rather than forward, which we prefer to do and control for some of the variables. So yeah, it's a very difficult population to study just kind of inherently. And also there's just not a ton of funding for it. So yeah, makes sense. Well, let's go back to the question of like signs and symptoms of, I know I brushed over it too. I forgot (laughs) to circle back around. But let's talk about some signs and symptoms that it might be time to maybe consider medication. 
So this is going to be different for everyone. We may consider medications in someone who feels like they're doing well, who has a very strong risk of like having postpartum depression. Maybe they've had it four times before and they do really well in this medicine. We may just start it then. But I think if someone like either hasn't been on medication or hasn't been on medication in a while, it really is about how hard things are. That it's not about your level of functioning. It's not about whether you can go to the office and do your work and come home and still do your, you know, stuff mm-hmm. at home. It's not about that, really. It's about how hard are things for you? Are you having joy in your life? Are you able to like get up and, you know, enjoy and yeah, how hard is it for you? So if you're noticing that like for a period of time, things are really difficult and, you know, you increase your ability to get sleep and you are eating a healthy diet and you are working out and you started therapy and none of that is like making the difference that you hoped it would. Maybe that's a great time to start medication because we've addressed a lot of the lifestyle things that could help you with very little risk. And medications would be probably indicated at that time. Only you know where that line is for you, though, that we don't need to be martyrs for the cause. Like, ah, I'm going to eat this diet for, you know, whatever number of months, right? That's like, okay, how hard is this? It does not have to be that hard. How much are you impacted? Are you able to enjoy, you know, having a dinner with your friends or are you too anxious or you kind of just know when it's not right, right? Like you just don't feel like yourself and you're not able to enjoy things. So some things that I think are important to point out are suicidal ideation, like thinking about hurting yourself or hurting other people, definitely an emergency and you want to treat it like one, 911 or the ER, reach out to your clinician. That if you can go without sleeping and feel okay, also pretty emergent, that you want to let somebody know that that is happening. Of course, if you're having ideas like that, you want to hurt other people, that is another emergent situation. So, you know, if you're really far along that spectrum where we're thinking about hurting ourselves or others, that is obviously important for your clinician to know. But if it's more nuanced than that, like, are you enjoying things? How hard are things for you? And only you know the answer to that. Yeah, no, that's a good way to look at it because it's not, that applies to all mental health, <laughs> you know, it's yeah, like, exactly. not just people with depression, not just people with anxiety. Like it's, are you able to enjoy things? Yeah, no, that's a great way to look at it. I also wanted to add too, especially with people who are dealing with depression, sometimes medication is great kind of as a first step because you don't have the energy mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. do the totally. therapy and do the working out. And, you know, so it's like, if you're at that point too, don't feel and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but don't feel like, oh, I, I really have to try this stuff first. I really need to before I go to medication. I mean, it's really more what you said. Are you enjoying your life? Yeah. And I mean, honestly, of course, we love it if you can do all of those other right. things. But if you can't do those things, if it's too hard for you to do those things, you don't have to. We will start your medication. We will get your feet under you. And we can add in those things when you're ready and you're feeling like it's not too hard. That is okay. I think that's a great point. You know, sometimes I'm so like into the world I live in that I, you know, forget some of those pieces, but like, yeah, do what's right for you. You don't have to start therapy before you see a psychiatrist. You don't have to do anything. If you don't feel like things are going well, talk to somebody, figure it out. Even if the answer is like, yeah, I think therapy is the right thing for you. You can say, okay, how do I do that? I need some help with that because it's too hard right now. 
Yeah. One thing that helped me too is looking at it in time lengths too. Like, okay, I'm going to try this for two weeks. And at the end of two Mm -hmm. weeks, we're going to see how it's going. And if it's going great, then I'll keep doing this. And if not, then let's try something else. Sometimes I feel like when you start, you feel kind of hopeless, like, okay, how long, like, am I supposed to be doing this one intervention before I, you know, go to something else? Yeah. I mean, you can decide what's right for you. I mean, if this thing is like kind of helping a little bit and you feel motivated by it, well, let's keep trying. And that's great. If it's not, let's switch gears. That could be medication. That could be something else. That could be yoga. That could be whatever you want it to be that's helpful for you. So there's no one right answer. And I think that's one of the hard parts about psychiatry is that like, you know, we have our right answers for lots of other fields of medicine. Mm -hmm. And psychiatry is very personalized. So you just have to kind of spend some time with yourself and figure out what resonates with you. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, one more question before we kind of wrap up and get kind of your final thoughts. I was thinking about this while you were talking about your last answer. What would you say is the kind of average, and maybe there's not an average, but like average time length when you start somebody on a medication how long does it take for someone to like, okay, feel the effects of that medication? And then there is a degree of maybe this medication isn't the right fit for me. So I have to change medications and that can be frustrating. Yeah. Again, it very much varies. It also sort of depends on how severe things are for the person and Mm. what we're treating. So if we are treating depression, you know, we may start an antidepressant and the first dosing might be good. So they may start to notice some effects, you know, like maybe two weeks in, and then we'll notice the full effect of any one dose around four to six weeks. We may need to go up to the next dosing structure there. So like maybe we go from 50 to hundred, we give that another four to six weeks in a lot of cases. It's, I mean, of course, again, very individualized, but we may, you know, take four or five months to get to the right dose for you. I will say that, you know, if we're going to start an antidepressant, anti-anxiety medication, oftentimes if we're looking to treat anxiety, we may need to get up to a little bit higher doses. So that may take a little bit longer. But it's not that there's no progress along the way, right? It's like, okay, now I feel like, you know, I can enjoy my social outings, but I'm still feeling really panicked when I drive. Or, you know, it may just be very, we've worked on one thing and the next thing we're kind of waiting for that to fall into place. So it really depends. We may hit the mark and someone's feeling good at, you know, two, three, four weeks. It may take more months than that, but usually we'll see some progress in a couple of months. Yeah, that's good to note. One thing that also helped me was I started tracking things. So I also have ADHD and I've talked about this, but I forget, like I would go to see my, and I see a psychiatrist as well to manage my medications, but he would ask me, have you been having, you know, this happen or like how much sleep are you getting? And I'm like, I mean, I think I'm getting this amount of sleep or I think I'm getting, you know, I think Mm -hmm. this is Mm -hmm. happening. But like once I started actually tracking things and seeing, oh, wait a second, you know, I'm only getting six hours of sleep every single night when I think that I'm getting more, that can be really, really eye-opening. Just tracking your sleep, just tracking like your mood, 
And I would track like, because I, I was doing it in when I was adjusting the Adderall dose. So I was like tracking that, like mm -hmm. what day I took, you know, certain doses. And then just like writing a little note of like kind of context what happened that day. And that helped me so much as somebody mm -hmm. with ADHD, because I'm like, okay, now I have something I can like concretely say, oh, look at my mood. It was like doing this while I was on my period or whatever, you know? Right. So it's yes. like, oh, it's so like, that is, it also, I feel like gives you a little bit of control back too. You're like, okay, I'm going to sit down. It takes five seconds to just say, okay, like this yeah. is what happened this day. And this is my mood and this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a great idea. Especially if, you know, you may have a hard time like hour to hour or day to day or week right. to week. You can look back and say, oh yeah, this last week was actually way harder than I recognized that it was. You know, we just like have this tendency to kind of keep going, keep pushing, keep yep. doing the thing, grind, right? Yep. It's kind of problematic because we'll do that at times we're feeling terrible and not recognize it because we're still quote unquote functioning. It's like, no, I actually felt really bad last week when things were really hard. So it's a good idea to do that. There's lots of different options oh, yeah. for people to do that. There's like, you know, color code the circle or like write it down or there's journals to do all that stuff. There's so many options. It might be fun to find one that's the right one for you and just kind of explore that and try it out. Mm -hmm. That's a nice, it's a nice like way to kind of cope with things as well, because it like gives you a little, yeah. I mean, for me, at least it gives me a little bit of dopamine. I'm like coloring my little, <laughs> my little yes. bullet journal, like nice and yes. pretty colors. And <laughs> so... That's a great idea. Yeah, why yeah. not? I yeah. mean, it's a great idea. Yeah, it helps. Well, any other advice, last advice you want to give to expecting moms or new moms on the topic of mental health? Okay, we haven't touched on this at all, but I want to say your postpartum plan should be as important or more important than your birth plan. Mm, yes. That there is a ton of evidence to support getting adequate sleep, having support, and having some time for yourself during the immediate postpartum period, that if you can plan for those three things, whether it's like, you know, having a postpartum doula, bringing in some help, or, you know, taking shifts with your partner or whatever you can do to get that sleep, to get that time for yourself to have the support is really going to be protective for a lot of people. So if you're able to do those things, make your postpartum plan super important because it could really make a difference. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And you know what that just made me think of too, is we have a nice, pretty birth plan template that we send people and we have a postpartum plan in our birth courses, but I think I could literally just make a nice, pretty template and send it to people and say, Hey, this is your postpartum plan. This yeah. is your birth plan. This is your postpartum plan, you know? Perfect. But yeah, no, that is so important. And I've done reels and we have a lot of posts on the blog about, you know, preparing for postpartum and how crazy, crazy important that is. And not things that people are thinking of too. Like obviously like the meal prepping is important, but you know, making sure you have, like, if you're set up with a therapist to make sure that, you know, you get a couple extra visits to check mm -hmm. in, you know, spend some totally. time with your significant other before baby and have these sort of conversations yeah. beforehand. So it's, yes, that is a great way to end things. I love the pro postpartum plan. Yeah. I mean, it's so important, really, really important, especially you know, knowing who your supports are, engaging your supports. Yes. So, so, so important. Yeah. 
Yeah. And if you Love need it. help, the other thing is, you know, if you need help, reach out. Yeah. There yeah. are a ton of people who are offering to help and just reach out. Taking that first step can be really scary, but it's the right thing. Yeah. Love it. Well, Nichelle, can you remind our listeners where they can find you? I know you're on social media like I am. Sure. I'm on Instagram at dr.nichellehaines. You can also find me doing some stuff on our practice website or our practice Instagram at rpcclinic. And that's rpcclinic.com. If you're in Texas and you need somebody, we are always happy to help either refer or get you connected at our clinic. I think those are the the two main places. Yeah. Yeah, Love it. We'll leave those links in the show notes page too, for people to check out. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was such a great episode. Happy to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. All right, guys, that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and letting me be a part of your motherhood journey. It is truly an honor. If you like what you heard, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And I love hearing what you guys think of the podcast. So if you're liking what you hear or you have a suggestion, I'd be so grateful if you'd go ahead and leave me a review wherever you're listening to help more mamas just like you find the show. What do you think? Are you starting to feel a little more confident about your pregnancy and birth? Well, if you want more, be sure to head on over to mommylabornurse.com slash podcast for today's show notes and a library of episodes so you can keep getting educated before your upcoming birth. And while you're over there, be sure to check out the blog and learn about our online birth classes. Find it all and more over at mommylabornurse.com slash podcast. See you next week. Same time, same place.